today on Chase Wildly. We have the honor of communing with one Kofi Thomas. This amazing man and I go way back to 18 years of age, 18 years ago. I remember distinctly meeting him. I was in the midst of moving into my college dorm room, probably plugging in my mini fridge, and he walked into the doorway just to say hello. And uh, I looked into his eyes, and I immediately knew I was looking at a dear friend. Uh, It was one of those soul connections, and I was deeply reassured that I had a companion, a brother in this place, in college, and in life. And that has proven over the years to be true. And I am fortunate for that. And I feel fortunate that I can share a bit of his story with you today. He has gone on to become a stand-up comedian and started a series of popular alternative comedy show house parties he called auntie's house, both in Boston and now in Brooklyn. He started and works with two community gardens in Bushwick, New New York. Now, Kofi is a builder of community. And to me, he is the type of leader our world is yearning for. Someone who protests a system of control and oppression by liberating his neighborhood, by living an example of love in a time of divisiveness, building spaces for gathering and connection, and reconnecting people to their power to feed themselves. As an African-American man, in this conversation, he shares his personal experience through the current movement for racial equality, his desire to bring precision and love into how we protest, and his desire for people to protest by changing the way they live and relate, to stand apart from what is and what has been, and change the system in themselves and on their own block. In this way, in these days, He is, to me, a modern superhero. The earth and humanity calls for a million more like him to stand up and start walking the walk. Let's go. Just, you know, you're a stand-up comedian, you're an urban farmer, maybe the second coming of Jesus Christ, Um, you know, one of my oldest friends, and uh, it's just, it's always a pleasure and always an impactful moment when I get to talk with you. You know, you're one of the most conscious people I know in terms of being aware of the world around them and being appreciative of the world around them, which probably is what makes you such a good 
Yeah, take it in. Take it all in. <laughs> Come on. Come on. It makes you such a good comedian, you know, an observer of life. Um, it makes you a really good friend and um, I'm sure makes you a valued member of your community as well. Um, and that's what I see from afar, Kofi, is that uh, what you're doing with the garden in particular is really providing a ton of value to your community and um, is an example of the type of leadership that is going to, that this world is, is craving, that the world is calling for, that everything that we're hearing going on right now is a calling for more leadership like that which you embody. And um, that for, for me, that's the reason it's particularly important that I, that I want to share the message of what, whatever you have to say and want to share what's going on with your project. So to get, to get us cruising on this, you know, with all the different things that you have done that you do do when someone says, Kofi, what do you do? You know, our favorite question, what do you, what do you tell them? <laughs> it's funny. Like, are we at like a cocktail party? I'm trying to impress a girl. Or is it just like in the streets? If it's at a party, then I'll probably make something up silly. Uh, I used to tell people that I was a, a um, a freedom fighter from uh, Sedeja, which is a made-up country, but at parties, that <laughs> goes over well. Um, but if you are just like a person in the street, I say that I am a comedian and a community builder. Yeah, I think I think... I think Builder covers a lot of what I do and how I see things. I like to I like to create uh, either like spaces or events that can change a community for the better. So I'm like I always feel like I'm like building, like you know, actually building, like building out. Uh, space, building up structures or raised beds or like building up people, like building up my neighbors where I'm like, yo, like you can change this shit. And I'm like, that's building. Like, even though it's verbal, like you're actually building up someone's, um, you're building up someone's like confidence, you're kind of changing their, uh, their view of themselves and their connection and power in their community. Yeah. So build it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about that. What are some examples? I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is the garden, but I know you've done other things like auntie's house. I mean, describe some of these projects. Yeah. So comedy wise, I uh, started a comedy show slash party called auntie's house that came about uh, as some of my ideas do, it's like, it's almost a, you know, if I have tried a lot of things and I've run into a lot of obstacles, I get, uh, you know, I'll get very frustrated and through my frustration and anger, I will start to take apart, deconstruct the 
process of what I was doing and try to think of like, what is the actual end goal? Like what is left when I pull away like a lot of the BS or what have you. So with Auntie's House, I'm a comedian in New York, which is uh, an insanely competitive place, but it's also a place full of people who are telling you what you what their idea of success is and trying to impart that on you. And so it takes uh, a lot to be able to cut through, see through a lot of the BS. So myself, uh, being from Boston, I used to throw shows at houses in Boston. Now I used to have, it was a great time. People came, hung out. I like, I used to live in a house of musicians we used to have shows in the basement, real dingy. So I was like, oh, let me build this out. So I built a stage down there, like cleaned it up. And then we started having like some of the best shows in Boston. So uh, one of my homies from New York came to Boston one weekend. My man, Chris Daniels, shout out to Chris. He did a show that I threw when we were back in New York. He was like, hey, let's throw a show together. So we started going around as most people do, you start going around to bars. There's like a set path of how you throw a show. You go, you approach a bar, you ask if it's okay to throw a show in their back room or wherever. They might give you some BS about whether you're not a good fit or how much it will cost or blah, blah, blah. And I kept thinking about um, all the shows that I go to, which is a lot. And a lot of them, and this is no smoke, but a lot of them are, like, are just like, not like, Boring in a way where like it's lacking, like just like a, an energy, like something different. And so I was trying to be more of like a house party vibe. So I talked to Chris and we were like, what's the best kind of parties you remember? And I was like, oh, like, like my, I've got some really cool aunties in my life who used to throw like great parties. And the the energy was always like, family like when you come in here like everybody's cool like if i brought you into a party nobody has to know you because i brought you in all of a sudden you, you are valid you vouch for you can go anywhere and then people will like will be mad at you like you come into my house for a party and people will be like go get some food and they're not it's not a question notice i did not phrase it like a question it's go get some food it is an order and like that's that family vibe that we wanted to have so we started going out and getting, looking at spaces that weren't a bar, that was like nothing, just like an open space. Because from the frustration, I started, you know, deconstructing what a comedy show was. I was like, why do we need this bar? What does it have? It's just walls and a mic and speakers. I was like, I have a microphone and speakers. We can do this anywhere. Plus, we, plus we like, because I, I called Chris, I was like, we could do this anywhere. And we're, we've both been doing comedy long enough. Like, we have, um, you know, like, credibility in the game. So we have a lot of friends who we could call and will come over and do the show. So I just sit in my living room. I was like, we could do this in my living room. So we started in my living room doing the show, like, built a little stage out of pallets, put up a little spotlight. And, you know, 
like just drinks on the kitchen table, food on the table, and people like just came out, packed out my apartment. Then each show we threw got bigger and bigger. Then it was too big for the apartment, had to move out and go like rent like a large space. And then we just kept packing that out. But it's because we built something that was different. Like we didn't, it's almost like, oh, like there's already this comedy structure of like you can go into a bar. We're like, no, like we have the tools and we have the creativity to build something different. And we have enough like input from ourselves and from our audience. We know like what people want to, what would make a great experience for the audience and comedians. And that's like, oh, like a party. Like you go into a comedy show and sometimes you kind of are like escorted in and escorted out. And like, you don't ever talk to anybody else who was at the show. You definitely don't talk to the comedians. So I was like, so we built, we built our show completely different. You come in and there's a table full of snacks and it's a potluck style. You can bring snacks in. There's drinks out. You pour your own drink. And then people start talking at the snack table. So already we're building that community there. Then we have a DJ with the music going, the vibe going, building more of that energy, more of that vibe. People are talking, dancing. Then we have comedians come on stage, rock the room. And then after, DJ comes back on and everyone's dancing, comedians and audience. So now it's all just one community hanging out together. And that's something that is not really done at like other shows. Like it's super rare to have that experience. And that's what we built uh, with Auntie's House. And that's part of like, like it feels so much more rewarding to build something than to, you know, kind of walk into a space that's already been, uh, already been constructed. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's so much there that I want to touch on. But one of the things I'll zoom in on real quick is this capacity you have to, as you said, cut through the bullshit, you know, like, how do we deconstruct all these templates that we've inherited, you know, and not just presume that we have to do it the way it's been done before. Or we have to do it the way that everyone in New York is doing it or all other, you know, and we get so stuck in that mindset. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because we feel safe, but I want to ask you, what uh, what about you? What leads you to be able to to break through that bullshit where, whereas so many other people seem to be just stuck in the, in the rabbit wheel or the, the mousetrap? Mouse wheel, whatever, durable wheel, whatever we call it. <laughs> that, yeah. that hamster wheel. Hamster that wheel. Hamster, hamster wheel. That's right. Man. Round and round, thinking you're going somewhere. Man, what what allows me to 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 see through to deconstruct? Um no, I think I've got I like to consider myself pretty analytical. Um I also are a Gemini after all. Ram, shout out, shout out the twins. But I've been, I think I've been analytical a long time. I've been a comedian a long time. I've been talking shit a long time. Uh, so, so it, it, it's definitely something that I've, I've built up. But I've also 
like, I think I've questioned things a lot throughout my life. Like even, um, you know, I go back to anytime. I used to question my pops a lot, would make him frustrated. Uh, I grew up in the, in the church. I remember vividly, I was in confirmation class. You know, you're like reading the Bible, going over it, et cetera. And they read a, a passage from the book of Job. Now I'm 13 years old in this class, and the class is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a breeze. You're supposed to just sit in there, keep your mouth shut. They go, you know, it's like a few classes, then boom, you got confirmed. You get to whatever, walk down the aisle, your parents clap, that's it. We're in this confirmation class, priest is reading from the book of Job. And afterwards, he's like, you know, any any questions? Did you all understand the lesson? And I'm, <laughs> and you know, me being whatever, I was just like, oh, like I've got a question. Um, so why did God need to prove Himself to the devil? And the priest was like, oh, I, you know, it's just this like. You know when you kind of hit that, when you hit a question so hard, you're like, ah, I'm going to be in trouble for this. <laughs> but I, but I'm, I was 13, but I couldn't let that go. Like, why would he have to prove himself? That seems like vanity. And, yeah, so I've always been on that, like, I don't know, on, on that what what is really happening here. Yeah. Or, or who made this up? You know, because I was even on that where, like, if we're just, if we're all, like, going along with something, who made it up? Like, what man wrote down those words that we now follow as law? You know, so I, was, I think I've always been kind of, like, digging a little bit to try to see what, uh, you know, what's there or what's behind it. Because if there's intent, you know, if there's, like, any mouse behind like, you could be, you I mean, you could be living your life according to some some rules that are made up by somebody who doesn't even like you. You know, like there's there's so much potential to uh, to be led astray. So like you need to be critical of anything that anyone's given you. Like, I mean, it's it's at the end of the day, it's your life. So I've I've been like that for a minute. So I think what like the ability to deconstruct, I think is is partly uh, from a place of me giving a shit about my life. Like, I give a shit about how I'm living. I give a shit about how I'm rocking. And so I don't want to go along with what some dude wrote years ago or what some comedy club made up in the 70s. I'm like, I wasn't there. I don't know you and you don't know me. So for me to kind of blindly go along with these rules is for me to not be taking enough time to really give a shit about my life and how I'm doing. It's almost like, you know what I'm saying? like. For me, I need to know that this shit makes sense, that this is real, that this is a you know good path or righteous path or the right path for me. So, yeah. yeah man. Oh, that's beautiful, Kofi. I think that's um, you know, to get real weird real quick, I think that uh we are living through a transformation in humanity. And I think one of the things that we're learning as humans is the importance of individual sovereignty. And what I mean by that is exactly what you said, learning for each individual to understand what is good, what is righteous for them, learning how to recognize that. And a huge part of that, right, is, is this questioning authority. 
questioning who writ who wrote the story that came before who wrote the rules that came before and what what i see lacking so much right now is that people don't they're not questioning at the level they're not understanding that it was just it's just some man no different than you no different than me no different than you know your grandpa or your crazy uncle or your you know wacky aunt that those are the same people that are running political parties that are running countries that wrote history that led armies like no different same human needs same human neurosis and you seem to like have nailed that early on in life way earlier than I did. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. It's funny. They call you, uh, what is it? They call you, well, it's funny. Cause if you even, if you're thinking like that or talking like that, they call you or they label you, uh, uh a smart ass or a troublemaker. And so you know, they try to, you know, beat that out of you early, uh, that, you know, that, uh, that love for questioning things, you know, they're always, you know, that's when you get like put on detention. If you like ask too many questions. So it's like, you're immediately like ostracized. Like we don't do that. Here. You know, yeah. you know, we're like, we're, 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 we're <laughs> it's like, we're taught to not learn. Yeah. That's the truth, man. We are, we are. Um, I, I was taught early in my software career, there's a concept in critical thinking, which is to ask five whys, you know? So for anything that someone tells you, ask, ask why at least five times to make sure that you're getting to the underlying like reason for it, you know? And, um, but I'm pretty sure my mom only allowed like two whys before she just, <laughs> <laughs> she just said, cause mama said so. Right. That's, the story. that's the, that's that like uh, ace in the hole, <laughs> cause mama said so. It's like the one of those. It's like a truth we hold to be self evident. <laughs> you don't need to question. It's self evident. Mama said so. Hey, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> My mama had, I think, one or two wives in her as well. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the Wilma would probably do us all well, but uh, we we need to learn on our own too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they're <laughs> There has to be. There has to. There has to be that also. But you know, shout out, shout out to the uh, mamas. Definitely, <laughs> I know it ain't easy having a little kid running around asking you a bunch of questions either. Oh, no, yeah. yeah, much love to them. Um, so I'm curious, what led you to the community garden project? Do you call it a garden? Do you call it a farm? What, what do you call it? I think we. So I think we were a garden, but we're like entering farm phase because of the um how many production. how many kumquats do you need to to be a farm it's, <laughs> man, <laughs> not many kumquat could have kumquat quat Ooh, probably that's a rough one i don't go but kumquats isn't my unit of measurement i say chickens it's like how many chickens you have to have on property to be a farm and if you have like if you have six or more chickens, then you are like entering farm territory because now you're producing eggs. You have you're producing uh, manure for composting. You've got uh, chickens that can also run around and till the land. So you know it's, you know it's like you've got a a whole bunch of staff of like six people working around the clock. 
So with a staff of that size, you're like, you're on a farm scale. Yeah, man. It, it almost sounds like the farm is a unit that, that almost takes care of itself. Like you have everything there between the chickens and the plants and they all benefit from each other and contribute. Yeah, man. Well, that's, that's the, that's the harmony, you know, that's the harmony of it. You know, if you get a, a farm that is a uh, regenerative, that is the, you know, it's almost like the, the, the pinnacle, like the, the most beautiful thing that you could be as a farm is self-sufficient to have absolutely everything you need and everything helping everything else out, everything, uh, you know, existing in a, in a balance. And I think, you know, we have different obstacles here being in, in this city, but we also have advantages here where we're so close to other people that you have a, you know, I have a almost hard to quantify skill set around me of like, you know, I've got a well of highly skilled laborers on my block. I have my neighbor's a carpenter. Other one is an electrician. A guy came by today who's an arborist. So I have all of these resources literally at my fingertips, so which makes us an even more sustainable, uh, you know, farming community. So, yeah, but like the whole, like the, like you said, like that when everything is right there, like feeding itself, like that's also how it is with the garden and the neighbors, like the neighbors come in and help out and then the garden helps them. So the garden gives them food and gives them a space to come and relax and to meditate and to have yoga classes and to have art shows and to have their kids' birthday parties. And then they give more to the garden. The garden gives more to them. So it's like they keep feeding into the garden, which then feeds them, which then, you know, it's it's the circle. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, man. Paint, Paint us a picture. You know, I have people all over the world who listen to this, who have no sense of where you are and where this garden is. But I think it's important to understand exactly what is around this, you know, where it is in the world. Yeah. So uh, we have two gardens, both of them. And we are right now in Brooklyn, New York, BK. It is a highly densely populated uh area, a lot of brick, a lot of cement, not a lot of green space. So we are in many ways an oasis in our neighborhood. Uh, We have one garden called the People's Garden that was started about 35 years ago. That is a completely chaotic, uh, anarchy, beautiful, Afro-Latino, music every weekend, um, everything from rock and roll to line dancing to salsa, everything and anything you can do, we do there. We've always been on the um, forefront of like revolutions. Um, you know, our, the heroes that we have around the, around the garden are uh, like Marley and Malcolm and Che, and it's all about the power of the people. 
So that's a big activist, creative, fight the power garden. And that holds a lot of space for people in this neighborhood who don't have a place to go and a place to feel comfortable and part of community. So that's one space. Other garden is called the Good Life Garden. That was a garden that was originally built by New York City Parks Department back in the mid-90s. And they, through some clerical error or what have you, forgot that they owned the property. So there had been no maintenance on the land for something like 15 years. So there's a, you know, a park that had fallen to disrepair. Then uh, different people moved into it, kind of took it over some like, you know, low level drug dealers, prostitution. It got really dark, really dangerous for a long time. But two and a half, almost maybe three years ago now, one of the OGs at the People's Garden told me about this space that is now the Good Life Garden. So we went over there, talked to some people, found out who was supposed to be accountable, ended up calling some meetings with the um, some seniors in the community, some local politician came through uh, in the parks department, got into a, a bit of a legal battle over the property, uh, ended up forming a coalition of neighbors to then sign a license with the city to take over the land and conserve it for about four years. So we, uh, so we accomplished that. So I've signed a license with the city, which feels really uh, ridiculous at times. Um, but you know, we we used to live in a <laughs> we used to live in a dorm together, <laughs> like back in college. Now I signed a li- now I signed a license with the city to to look over thirteen thousand <laughs> square feet of land. It's <laughs> pretty crazy. Uh, but so this piece of land that was forgotten. I wanted to honor the people who first built it and the people who live on the street. And so the street is uh, made up of uh, Black, Latino, and Asian. And uh, and there's a senior home right across the street from it. So I kind of had to put myself into the shoes of people who had been living on the street for 20 plus years and had seen a park you know, if you can just try to imagine for a second. Imagine you live on a small, this is like a small street, right? Small block. Now you have a giant park on your block. It's 13,000 square feet. It used to be six houses in a row that were knocked down and then, a, and then years later a park was built. So you have a park built in your neighborhood and you get excited. There's now a park on my street where my kids can go play. But as soon as the park is open, they put a lock on it. And only the senior home is allowed to go into the park. But over a few years, the seniors who are using the park, they are no longer using the park because different men from neighborhood are now selling drugs and hanging out in that park. So now this park that is on the street that you live on is not being used by anybody who lives on that street. And it's never open to you. So you're raising a kid and you all have to walk past the park every day 
that they can't go into. And every year you see it, that park looks a little bit worse. The trees are a little more overgrown. There's a little more trash in there. There's a little bit more people hanging out. So that's going on for 15 years of it just gradually getting worse and worse and more and more dangerous. Then, uh, end of 2017, some random guy walks into the park. He, he pulls out a chainsaw and he just starts cutting down trees. You think he's from the city and that they're finally doing something with the park. So he just starts cutting trees down. Nobody asks any questions because nobody's asked questions for a while. Doing that. And nobody asks questions because there's a history of people not being involved in what happens in their community. Mm-hmm. He starts cutting trees down. Then uh, an old man comes by with um, another man, and together they start raking up the trash, cleaning up, taking bags out, maybe taking bags out at nighttime to throw into dumpsters illegally. But they start doing things to get to clean the place up. Now, all of a sudden, the place is clean. Then, in the spring of next year, you see there's a, suddenly there is 100 volunteers in that space, all building raised beds. The next week, there's another 100 volunteers, all building. A couple weeks later, there's another group of volunteers, and now they're building, but they're also repainting the senior home, and they're building beds around the senior home, and now they're cleaning up the street trees, and now more and more, till finally, you've been living on the street for so long, till finally you just stop and you go, you see the same guy inside the park, and you go, hey man, what, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I got, what's up? I live around the corner. But you know, this park is actually for you, it's for the community. And then, like, and then people are like, oh, seriously? I'm like, yeah, seriously. This is like a community garden. And turns out it's always been, just that nobody told you. Like, <laughs> this is legally on paper, always been a community garden, but nobody had ever told the community. So everybody on the street, since the place was built, thought it was a private garden for the senior home. And because there was nobody in charge, there was no stewardship, there was no programming, there was no workshops. So nobody ever knew that they had access to the space. So, you know, kind of imagine what it feels like to see a space that big on your street that's been dark and dangerous for so long then get transformed and now you and your kids can use that place. You can grow food, you can have events and you just feel better about yourself and your street because now your street looks beautiful and now you get inspired. Now you start growing more flowers in your front yard. Now you have a free resource and now whenever you want uh, any soil or compost, you can just walk on your own block and get it. So now you actually have one of the best blocks in the neighborhood because you have this big garden that you're a part of. So like, just like imagine like you're a world changing like that. 
Yeah. Now it's the good life garden in Bushwood. Kofi, that's beautiful. Just hearing that story, I feel light. I feel, man, a part of something. I feel that there are beautiful things happening in this world, and I feel that love is as contagious as anything else, if not more so, and that gives me a lot of hope. And um, so thank you for sharing all of that. You know, you mentioned a few things there, stewardship being one of them. And I think that's what I love about you is that you have this sense of stewardship for not only the community, but for spaces, um, for, for nature, for the people in that community. And I think stewardship is a concept that another one of those words that describes, like I used sovereignty earlier, stewardship is another word that that can replace in this new era of humanity, it can replace the word of ownership. You know, that we're not here to own land. We're not here to own things. We're not here to own other people or pets or whatever. We're here to be stewards. We're here to manage and cultivate the relationships, the space that exists between you and me, the space that exists outside our front door. You know, and so the, your story encapsulates all of that, man, and really inspires me. I love that idea of stewarding relationships, too, like not just the physical, stewarding our connections to each other. Mm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Maintaining and cultivating. Yeah. Like that. How, do we, how do we help it grow? That's right. Now, how... What have you gotten personally from this? I mean, there are two questions here. One is, you know, how did you ever get drawn sort of to creating a garden? And um, the second one is, what have you gotten with this connection to nature? Well, what was question one? Question one is, you know, what drew you essentially to nature, to the gardening, to, to whatnot? And then, and then what have you found in putting your hands in soil, in watching things grow in this particular way, in spending more time touching trees and, mm-hmm. you know, all that? Right. That's a good one. So I think two things drew me to nature. One being my family. My family's from the West Indies, island called Dominica. So it is actually called the West Indian. It is called the nature island of the Caribbean. It's beautiful. There's rivers waterfalls, natural geysers, it's a volcano, it's everything. It's everything you could want in nature, in one island. So I grew up in Boston, but I grew up with all of my aunties always planting things, always sharing things. So I was at, like ex- exposed to the communal nature at a young age. What really got me into nature recently was the um, was the injustice involved in nature. So the fact that I'd say people in general, but especially black people, have been severed from the land, have been taught that they were never farmers, have been, you know, black farmers in America have gone from, uh, you know, from, 
I forget the numbers, but it was high, like, you know, 20% to now it's like 2%. Uh, and so land has been forcefully or illegally taken from Black folks for so long that, you know, as in a, a almost like a, a, a visceral response to that injustice, I was like, I need to reconnect to nature. I need to build an even stronger bond now because it was taken away. And I need to see what I can do once I have, once I like hold on to it, I need to see if I could like reach another hand back and pull other black folk like back to nature. And to to kind of again like deconstruct this stigma of like like people created this false narrative that to work with the land makes you poor or uh, you know, or makes, you know, makes you less than or uneducated or, you know, and all of the, all of the, uh, all of the ties and trauma attached to slavery. And so it was, it's still something that's so hard to bring Black people back to nature, only because there's been so much done to separate them from nature. So that's been a huge, huge influence on me of like, how do I want to connect to the land that is, you know, home for me that we've always been part of? And then how do I then give other folks access to that land and bring them back into not just like the the physical of the land, but also like just to to mentally think about it differently. Like, it's not, like, this is actually one of the dopest things you can do. Like, if you can grow your own food, like, you talk about, you know, liberation and independence. Like, this is freedom. If you can grow your own food, you are closer to being free. You are closer to not being uh, vulnerable or at the mercy of, you know, of this system. So that's been major for me. And then, another injustice uh, you know, while I'm on my injustice, uh, injustice rant is just is food insecurity, and how on this planet anybody goes hungry is violence, and we try to call it other shit like oh maybe there's a shortage, but there's no that is all a lie. There's no shortage of food at all on this planet. There are people who want a lot of money and are greedy, and they are willing to withhold food from others. And that is violent. To starve somebody is a violent act. We don't always call it that, but I think we should. It is definitely an act of violence to fuck with somebody's access to food. Like that, I mean, you are slowly killing somebody. Whether you do it quickly or slowly, you still killing somebody. So as a response to the violence of, uh, Food, food inequality, that got me back into nature of like this nature as a uh, nature as a solution to uh, you know to to hunger. Like if, again, if people can grow their own food and have access to some land and some dirt, then we start taking the power out of the hands of some big companies to say who gets to eat and who doesn't and start putting the hand and start putting the power back where it should be within these small communities. Cause these communities can grow their own food and it's not a, 
new idea. Like, I didn't sit down and just think of this shit. This is just history. If you just look at history, people, there used to be way more microphones, even in New York, which, you know, the, whatever, like the Manhattan and these cities, but these were, these used to be big orchards and farmland. And people used to have their local farmer that brought them their food from down the block. And so we have the capacity to grow our own food. And if more people bought into that, we would have major changes in our access to food, to our health, both physically and mentally, to our health as a community infrastructure. Because once you start growing food and you start trading it, you have to start talking to each other. And so now you start meeting your neighbors and all of the shit that comes from that is incredibly powerful. You are like building, like you're building like fertile earth. Like you can grow anything in a community that talks to each other. Yo, that was, that was gorgeous. Um, man, man, I'm in it, bro, you caught me right now, bro. I'm on a vibe right now, cuz. You caught me in a good... <laughs> I feel it. I feel yeah, you it. Caught me, you caught me on a good wave, fam. I'm definitely on a good wave right now. This is, this is what we need to awaken to, too, Kof, like this. You know, I love cities, but there is a narrative, a techno-centric and urban-centric narrative that sort of demonizes that connection with nature, you know, that we've inherited that came West to the United States sort of from Europe. And I'm not an analyst of history, but it seems that this, you know, this was a method of stealing freedom from peoples, whether it's indigenous peoples, whether it was indigenous peoples in, you know, Northern Europe or Celts, or Native Americans, or people from Africa, or people in South America, you know, one of the key instruments of war to enslave people was to take them from their connection to earth, take them away from that belief system, take them away from, give them an infrastructure that they're dependent on, or at least think they're dependent on, in order to you know, enslave them even subconsciously in that way to say that you can't live without my food truck that shows up or you can't live without, you know, all these things. And um, so the way that you described it is powerful, beautiful, and I appreciate it. Um, what has it done for you personally? Uh, what has it done for me personally? It has made me a, I think... It has made me a stronger person, for sure. That's like, you know, both both mind and body, like stronger. Like I feel a lot stronger than I have felt before. And it's because I have gone through so many battles to just to get the ability to grow, like just to, just to be able to grow was a lot of battles. And now that I am growing, I feel stronger because I get to witness so much growth in nature and it all informs me. It's like being around a, like being around a lot of instructors every day. Like I get to see how different plants 
grow and lean on each other. I get to see how different plants form these co connections with each other. Like you've got, you know, for example, like you've got like the, the three sisters, which is like the classic. So you've got your corn, your beans and your squash. And it's like the corn grows up, you know, really tall, beautiful. But now the corn grows up really tall, but now the ground between corn is kind of bare. That's where you need squash. Squash grows out big leaves, keeps that ground kind of covered. What that does is it keeps the ground, it keeps that water in the ground from drying out. So now the corn is benefiting from the existence of the squash. But now there are beans. Beans need to climb. So now the beans need something. Beans climb up those corn stalks. And so now everything in those three sisters is helping each other out. Everything is throwing roots into the ground and aerating the ground so that the entire ground that everyone is eating from is, is better and has more nutrients. The corn is being sturdy and strong for the beans. The beans are spreading, the squash is spreading. Everything is helping each other out. I'm like, this is the type of like connection that we're looking for in community. We're like, I'm good at this thing, but you're good at that thing. We have these different skills and personalities and identities and cultures, and how do they fit together so that we all grow? And trying to figure that out is, you know, it just, it makes me, it has made me stronger. It has made me more, I'd say, considerate. I'm much more considerate of different people, where they're coming from, what they might have to offer to this sense of community. You know, like, for example, we got a, a, a senior home across from the garden and the seniors are in there most of the day, that's their world. They don't really travel anywhere. They can't travel a whole lot. And, you know, a lot of people, even at the gardeners are like, they don't really see the seniors as, I don't know how, I'll say how I see them, where they'll say like, oh, like the seniors um, are old and they can't really carry a lot of things or, you know, like they might need a lot of help. And I'm like, oh, but you're only seeing it them through your eyes, you know, like through your through your value system of like, you can carry something. But these seniors are from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Mexico, China, Trinidad, Jamaica. So you, if you're, if you're being considerate, if you're being empathetic, if you're thinking outside of yourself, then you start to understand the value of their diversity and experience. You're actually near centuries worth of, of agricultural knowledge. And if you would just 
uh, ask them and talk to them about how they grow or just, or with some of the seniors, I just let them grow and I just watch them as they plant because they're using techniques that have been passed down from their father and their father's father and their great-great-grandmother. And so you've got, you're able to learn from generations worth of farmers. And it's like, with, if you only see it as you're all individual, then you won't see like how the squash works with the beans, works with the corn. Like everyone's bringing something different. And if you start to look at it like that, like what, like what are they? What are they bringing in? What is what is she bringing in? Then you start to really, I think, get this like vibrant, blossoming, blooming, grown community. So yeah, I feel like, and I feel like I feel stronger from nature because I've seen all of these relationships within nature. And I see, like, in the morning when I go early, there's a lot of birds out there. And I see the word, I see the way that the birds treat each other. I see the way that when there's, like, a new bird, which we had, like, another new bird this morning, that, like, he, like, fell out the tree at me. And I was, like, kind of got startled. And I was, like, oh, oh, you know, I'm looking around, like, should I put him back near the tree? And I was, like, no, let me just give it a second. Then the mom comes down, swoops down, and she just like looks at him. And she's like, "All right, you okay?" Like she just gave him check times. Like, you know, he just he just had a fall, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't sweating him. You know, she gave me a look like you. And I was like, "I'll back away. You got it." But seeing the way that you know, but just seeing the way that she was there. Then the, then the father came by. And then they were like, they were just giving him worms. They were like, go out, they like fly around, grab a worm, bring it back to him. So they were like, for me, it was like, oh, like this is like letting your kid make mistakes. Like he tried to fly, he didn't get it on the first time, but they're just both there like, hey, here you go, here's some more food, get your strength back up, give it a try. And like later on that day, he started flying. And I was like, this, even just even just witnessing that, you know, moment in in that family, I was like, yes, like this is now I feel stronger and better about how I'm how I'm moving. Like, you know, what can I do to give or what can I give to some of the youth out here so that they keep on trying shit out, so that they keep being creative or keep, you know, trying to trying to fly or be fly and be artists or whatever it is like what you know what kind of things do i have or do we have in the garden that we can give to the youth out here so yeah just being man just being in nature just like just listening and watching there's lessons everywhere oh if you're on one today man that was lit dude i told you <laughs> i'm feeling there's something about this subtle shift in mindset that is so empowering and liberating. And that shift in mindset is, you know, believing that someone else has something beautiful and unique to offer. And that when you engage with another human being in that way, 
your life is more beautiful because you're, you're almost coming at it with like a curiosity about, okay, what, what hidden gift is inside this person and how do I get to it? And they, I feel like other people can't help but feel that too, feel a certain fire start inside of them that knows that there's another person looking at them, not with, not with some sort of prejudice, not with the prejudice that says, well, you're old, you can't carry, but with, with that curiosity, that invitation, that's like, what's your way? What's your secret? And um, so you said that with the older people, but that, that also seems to be the key in the, the bird story too, of the parents not being like, well, you can't fly yet. You're broken. You're no good. Just like, okay, what, how are you going to figure this out? What do you got? What do you have to bring? So beautiful metaphor in how you've seen your community as the collaborative garden, you know, the beans and the squash and the corn. Um, and I think that's a mindset too. We need to, to bring to each other. We need to permeate throughout the world. And I think the way that you're doing it is I don't know if it's the best way, but to me, it's one of the most beautiful ways, which is to, to live that example every day, to walk, to walk in it and, and take it into your community. So I appreciate you for doing that and the story you just told. Yeah, brother, man. I'm, I'm lucky to be here, brother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's not ignore the fact that like there's a whole lot going on in the world. We've just, We've just, you know, crushed phase one of pandemic. We've got, you know, um, what feels like really revolutionary energy around racial justice, uh, racial equality. And um, I wanted to know particularly how everything that's going on with protests and, and riots and racial equality is landing with you in your community, in your own life? How, what kind of things are you feeling and thinking as this goes, goes on? Mm, so, so with, the, um, well, there's a ton going on. So I'm definitely not going to get to everything, but I'll say, talk about what it's like for me personally within all this. It's been exhausting. It is exhausting to be a black person in America and have to say the same thing over and over and over again and have people not believe you and then have what you've been saying on video and people still not believe it. Exhausting to kind of deal with, manage the pain of white people on both sides. So being black, you have to manage the pain of white people who are, have always been angry at black folk for being here. You know, so you've got your, your racists and your people who kind of hide their racism as conservatism of like, I just don't want things to change. Well, that means you don't want things to be more equal. It's, you know, it's, uh, you're, you're, it's just semantics. You're, you're finding what you think is, is a loophole to, 
to maintaining white supremacy, which is I don't want, uh, or things are going well right now, or why are y'all complaining? So that's one. That's exhausting. The other exhausting side is the, like, I almost call it like the overly zealous white liberal who has not read anything. Mm-hmm. So like the overzealous white liberal who is like, just heard about racism, just saw their first thing, and is then like calling on black people, like, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, we've been here for a long time trying to figure shit out. You just got here. You need to take a moment and read some books by black people about what's been happening and what we're working on. Then come into the conversation and see what you can do with either your privilege or where you are to help move this country towards some type of justice, towards some type of equality. So that's the exhausting part because you get white people from both sides who in some way will want something from you without having done any of the labor to learn about the experience or what they can do. And in this day and age when everything is online or in a book, you want to know what to do or what's been happening, you can find it. If you really want to know, it is out there. So that's one. For me personally, I'm exhausted as hell. I'm in New York, which is something of like uh, on the border. It feels like a powder keg right now. Um, because people keep, there's more, it feels like there's like a new video every couple of days. And this city has not responded well to people peacefully protesting. Mm -hmm. So cops have been out in riot gears and attacking folks who are peacefully protesting. It's like, well, if you're doing that, well, now you are inciting people to act violent. And then it's, you know, then it's just going to be the back and forth. And well, now we're retaliating. And now you're taking that as a reason to then bring in more military, um, more vehicles, more weapons, et cetera. So it's been exhausting being here. Went to one of the protests um, and it was not the type of protest that, I wanted to see. I went at night into Manhattan and it was a lot of uh, anger and rage. And I felt that. And it made me start thinking though about what I was doing and how I could, how I could protest. And you know, I started thinking about, uh, about movements, about war, strategy, you know, how you got to attack on, a, attack on many fronts. And I was like, this protest is one part of it. You have to be in the streets and loud because you have to let the world know this shit ain't going to keep going down. And if it do, we're going to just, like, just don't push it because we could take over all this shit. Second was we've been doing, we've been marching for decades you know, and still black folks are getting killed and now they're getting killed on camera without accountability. So 
with war, with strategy, it's, it's how do you, how do you adapt? You know, how do you, how do you change your techniques? So I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it like I'm feeling like we're in these streets and we are where we should be. But a lot of us who have been protesting for years, a lot of our leaders, a lot of our youth who have this great energy need to meet. And I need like the experience from the old, from the older generation who have been doing the work for years to link up with that energy of the youth who are ready to march or call or do anything. You know, I want, I keep saying like, I want that same energy. Like I want the same energy of everybody who was like doing, like organizing the phone pack, phone banks and knocking door to door for like Bernie Sanders. Like I'm like, if all, I'm like, if that organized network started knocking door to door and calling up, you know, uh, politicians and uh, police chiefs, mayors, and, and we're saying like, this needs to change. We would see change, I think, pretty rapidly. So for me, it's about the technique. We're like, we're, we're even, even when we go out marching, you know, I'm like, okay, we're out marching. For example, one of the marches is to defund the NYPD. And so the, the marches, took place in like Manhattan and one in Brooklyn and me thinking like, uh, you know, like a, like a, you know, from like a general, then I'm thinking, okay, this is our objective to defund the police. Right. Okay. So who was in charge of funding the police? Well, you've got your, uh, you know, you've got your city comptroller, you've got your mayor. So I'm like, okay, so let us, march to where these people live let's go outside of his house with with 10,000 people and see if shit don't start changing like these businesses downtown or whatever but these businesses the whatever the target the cvs they don't fund the police they don't control funding in our neighborhood they haven't been part of defunding our schools so let's get the names of everybody who's been violently fucking us over, taking away our money from our schools and our teachers and our healthcare and show up outside their doors with 5,000 people and see what happens and see if they don't get an emergency meeting to talk about where funds are going. So that's how I'm feeling on the march and the protests. I would love for it to be more like with more precision, like let's attack these institutions that have been robbing us of equal access to healthcare, uh, you know, equal access to schools that have been funding or, or hiding and protecting, um, you know, murderous police. So let's do that. My other thing is the protest isn't just about that. We can also protest with love and with care. So how do we start showing up more for each other? How do we start loving each other more? How do we start feeding each other more? And that's protest. Like you wanna organize it, like let's like let's get organized about how we're gonna feed each other. 
like let's get let's let's start some of these coalitions so that we have you know more jobs in our community like let's take that energy of coming together that solidarity and let's change our neighborhood like that's the that's the protest that I really want to see is like let's change this shit immediately for where we live like change that shit locally whatever it is whatever it is in your hood that you want to see change let's let's take that protest energy that coming together that showing up if you want to go downtown and show up and and shout and fight cops then show up on your block and help on a cleanup day or help on a day where we're giving out uh you know food to seniors or or help uh you know help some of these help some of these immigrants uh find work or feel safe you could you know what i mean learn some more spanish like do these things in your own community to protest to build up your hood because if you all are because the you know the beauty in it is that if you all are stronger and if you all are together, I mean, then they can't come in and take one of you away. Because if you all together and you all ready to ride, they, they, I'm telling you, they don't have enough jail cells. They can't arrest all of us. That's what, that, that's what people got to understand. There's way more of us and we can change it. So we can change the shit. So if there's somebody out there that's not rocking with the people, then we can just get them out of it. If we're together, if we are united and have solidarity, then we can change shit for us. That's the kind of protesting that I'm looking for, type of solidarity I'm looking for. Like, I, I don't know if it's, it's kind of hard because it often seems like it takes something terrible, something traumatic to wake people up, to bring us together. Man, but I want us to, you know, I want us to be moving and have that, you know, have that passion, that motivation to march. I want us to have that shit on a, you know, on a weekly basis. Like, you know, let's all march just down the street together and just hang out. Yeah. Yeah, Kofi. Yeah, man. Thank you for sharing that. I um, I want to say a couple of things. And the first is that what you said about bringing love into into protest into marches resonates with me particularly you know being a guy who spends a lot of time thinking about words thinking about language you know as a writer and someone who writes music it, it would i would love to to see um us empower each other through through using the magic that is language to be chanting things um that bring power to us, that make us feel love. That and for me, that's a that's a form of protest in a time that is so divisive. But um, it's not for me to tell anyone, you know, when it's time to express anger and when it's time to express love. But um, I look forward to those types of protests as you do. Um, and then the other thing that really resonated with me was this idea of. Um, you know, there's the white sympathy that I see right now, which is tar the action that people seem to want to take is to go find the racist people, to hunt them down, and then to change their minds. 
you know, and um, I can't say that's not a good, that's not a valuable effort, but I think there are so many systems that need to change. There's the justice system, there's the criminal system, there's the, there's the agricultural system, there's the educational system. And, and a lot, you know, and this is, this goes, this is my thinking before um, we were seeing this current up, uprise and sort of attention on this, this topic. But we as humanity, I guess, um, want to find the right thing to post on Facebook that makes us think we've taken the right action. When, when I think what people are going to need to do through this revolution that we're experiencing in humanity is to leave their job, is to leave the life that they've had before, is to become the lawyer or to, to become the lawyer now in the justice system so that they can make that change, to become the to leave their software job and become the teacher, to leave, you know, to, to truly change their way of life in protest, as you expressed in the way that, that you, and the way that you live um, in protest in that way, bringing love, bringing community, bringing it back to a local level, therefore taking the power away from those centralized, you know, and really uh, uh, greedy or corrupt or, or just ignorant um, leaders that, that we've somehow allowed to continue to lead this country, um, year in, year out. I like that. I like that you, you said allowed to, which is such an important part that a lot of people don't understand is that we allow them to lead, you know, that is, that it's, it is, and has always been our decision. That's why it, that's why they spend so many, so much money on trying to convince us that, they're these saviors. Uh, it's because they need you to believe that you don't have the ability to save yourself, but we allow them to be in positions and we can take that away whenever we want. It's part of part of their fear. Damn, I love the, I mean, it's, it's the, <laughs> the actual change versus uh, you know, virtual change. You know, you can you can change your 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 Facebook background for a day, and you know, give yourself a pat on the back. Uh, you know, but if you haven't done any any actual work or done any have made no real changes to your life, or even you know, even on a on a on a micro level of of the of the way you talk to you know people in your neighborhood then you're then you're just you're you're just po- again you're just posing and posturing you're you're saying some shit so maybe you get a few likes and you get to feel good about yourself and take it give yourself a little morality pat on the back but that real change is different and for a lot of people it's just too uncomfortable a lot of people ra- rather live in their comfortable zone where they're still racism but they benefit from it than to take a hard look at what they may have been doing that has benefited from or contributed to this racist system uh, you know it's you know i always <laughs> i always find it uh interesting the uh the the pain tolerance of many people where like some people can't even talk about racism it's like oh wow how how nice for you that you you have a life where you uh, get that choice to talk about it. We're like, we live through racism. Like, I can't even, like, 
I'd love to be able to just talk about it sometimes. That sounds nice. That sounds like a, that sounds so, so soft. I could just choose to talk about it. Like we live it uh, on a daily basis. And, but some people won't even uh, recognize it or talk about it or make some minimal changes in their life. And I think that's, that's where, uh, that's where a lot of it gets lost uh, is the, the the minimal changes like you don't i mean i can't speak for everybody um for everybody black but it's just the littlest things like if you tried a little bit it would go so far no one's expecting you to know about everything in black history I don't know where some of these folks like get all this pressure from of like, oh, I don't know. It's like, nobody asked you. There's no pop quiz coming up on black history. People are like, we're just asking you to fucking to relax a little bit. Stop getting so tense when race is brought up. Like don't avoid it or divert it or definitely don't gaslight black people and tell us that it's not real. Uh, and then try to do, you know, maybe something in your own personal life. Uh, that is self-reflective, you know, of, of what have I done in the past that may have contributed or benefit from, and then maybe do something that benefits, uh, you know, black folk or changes the system in a way that you have some power to, and then that's it. Like, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, this, you know, coming in like a, like a superhero, to try to change uh, the system by yourself. But if we all do like a little something, then again, it's like, again, it's the, if a lot of people are doing something, it makes a massive force of change. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that minimal amount of work of recognizing racism and then making some small changes to their life and their actions. Yeah. What keeps you, what keeps you so resilient? I mean, it could be easy to get disheartened and yet yeah. you, you or feel trapped in a box living in a world that is so prejudiced with so many systems that would stop you in your tracks what personal practices or thought patterns or I don't know, keep you feeling empowered. Good, empowered. It's a lot of people. I got a lot of folks around me that kind of like fuel my resilience, um, reinvigorate me. You know, I got like people on my block who are just amazing. Um, really strong people. I got a neighbor. Um, I have a neighbor, Miss Mamie. She is in her, wow, it might be in her 80s now. Like, quick-witted, older black woman, been on the block, been in the same house for 51 years. So before I was even born, she was already holding down the block. I introduced myself to her one day. Uh, I just, one day I said, hello, I'm Kofi, I'm at the garden down the street. If you ever need any vegetables, let me know, I'll bring some over. She started talking and it 
just it made my day. It made my week. Told me she's from the south. She grew up farming, but she don't do that no more. But she do know how to cook. So if I bring over some vegetables, she will cook it up. And it made me feel so good. I was like, oh my god, like this is all I need to like keep going. Like this, this interaction has justified every late night I've had cleaning up that garden. Every single one. Every bag I filled, every tree, every tree I chopped down. This woman, I get to bring her some vegetables and I get to hear her talk. And that is more than enough to make me feel amazing, to make my life great, to give me like some purpose, like everything I need to be resilient, I got from that. Like being being able to be in service of people like that makes me stronger, keeps me going. And that's, and she's one of a ton of people where like you're, you know, you're doing things that sometimes it feels like you're uh, a little bit in a vacuum. You know, if you don't like see anybody for a while, you you know, you start to, that self-doubt creeps in. Does this matter? Does anybody care? Is this just for me? Etc. That spiral. But then, you know, something might happen. You get a glimpse through like somebody else's eyes. And like, to that glimpse, it's like, you're just like, oh, like, like I got out of my own head and I see I see more. I see more of this world, more of their experience, more, more of their life, more of how they feel. We had a birthday party on Sunday at the garden. And this was like, you know, this is one of my, this is like a, almost like the, that ripple effect. And when you do like something for a community, it just like kind of ripples outwards. Right. So beginning, I started, you know, was it number two or maybe like 20 whatever it is 2019 one day i'm cleaning up the garden so it's cleaned up right now it's you know it's clean it's painted it looks good i'm walking to the garden there's a group of about seven teenagers that are like dancing on the sidewalk like and they're practicing like a choreographed dance so i'm walking up to them and i'm see that they're doing that and that they're kind of cramped in because it's not an open space around where we live. So I say, Hey, if y'all want to, y'all could come into the garden. I got a stereo. You can plug your phone in, play the music, dance. One of them looks at me, you know, obviously like skeptical, but she's like, Oh no, we going. So I calls her friends and she's like the leader of them. Right. So she calls her friends and they all come in. They put the music on, they start dancing, and this and this one like leader, she's like, Yes, we do it again, we gotta get it right. You know, she's like, you know, she's got everybody in line. About two months later, this girl Tina comes back over with her father. And she's like, Oh, you know, dad, this is the the guy from the garden. Uh, you know, talk to him. So her dad. Uh, one I know is Pablo says, "Oh, my my youngest daughter is turning three. 
but we want to have a lot of people over, but we can't fit into our house. Can we throw up the party in the garden? Now I was like, yes, this is what, you know, we're here for. Like, you know, come through. So they came through, had a beautiful party, um, a lot of food, drinks, just, and just, fa- just family hanging out together. Big family, all the cousins, everyone sitting down in this garden that we cleaned up. But like nobody knows besides him that like this place used to be a dump. They're all just enjoying a birthday party, you know, inside a beautiful garden. Then this this year, on this past Sunday, Pablo comes to me again. Hey, my daughter's turning four years old. She wants to have a party here again. Can we do it? I'm like, yeah, of course. So they have the party again. So now this little girl has had two birthday parties at the garden. This time was crazy. She rolled in on a little pink bicycle, like with a tiara on. It was, boy, it was a scene, right? And so I'm feeling energized because I then put myself into different people's shoes. I was like, okay, so first there's the teenage daughter and she got a chance to dance in the space and get her routine down. But then her father has a problem. He wants to have a a birthday party for his youngest daughter, but they don't have a big enough room. She has a solution. She knows somebody at the garden. So now she gets to walk her dad over and she gets to be the hero that finds the space for the birthday party. So now she's a hero and the father gets to be a hero for his little girl because he now has a bigger space to have all of her toys and the stage and the barbecue. And then the little girl doesn't care about any of it. She just gets to be a princess and ride her bike around and have people clap for her. So you've got these three different people all having an amazing experience all within the same physical space. So like that impact on people's lives keeps me going, keeps me resilient, where I'm like, this is shit that matters a lot to people and will matter for like a long time. Like this is a memory. Like a girl had her birthday party here. That's a memory for her life. That happened because myself and Hernan and Julio cleaned up some trash at a garden. Yes, that that keeps me going, man. Seeing seeing people happy, seeing people enjoy the space, that keeps me going. That's beautiful, Kofi. And that's something that that we can't really do over the internet, you know, and I hope that you and I have a chance to connect in person again soon, man, just for that reason. I think that's where the magic happens. And um, I appreciate that story. I wanted to, to end this beautiful conversation and give you an opportunity to invite people whoever's listening to this to do something or think about something what what invitation would you have or challenge would you have for people who are listening um what would you ask them to do Mm. i would ask people listening to first start with yourself 
like do some work towards loving yourself. You love yourself, then you can go out and start loving other people in your community. But if you don't start with loving yourself, it's always going to come back to that. You might end up, you know, poisoning something you're working on because you haven't resolved shit within yourself. So start there. Always start within. Then take a look at the people, the community right around you. Is there anything you can do to help out? Is there anybody who's in need? Um, you know, any seniors, immigrants, anybody in need that could need anything there? And then it's not your neighborhood. Every neighborhood is different. You might be in a neighborhood that where everybody has lawns, but nobody talks to each other, right? Which is very common. Start a little street garden club. You got a lawn that you ain't doing nothing with. It's just grass. Start growing some vegetables and then invite other people on the block to grow veggies in their front yards. And now you have a little micro farm economy and you all can start trading food. And now you all have a number of reasons to talk to each other and get together and you can have a harvest dinner party and you can talk about what's the best way to grow your cucumbers. So I would highly, highly suggest, one, try and love yourself, two, start growing food. Grow food, talk to your neighbors. It will change the rest of your life. Thank you, my homie. Thank you, Kofi Thomas. So nice to talk with you, man. Um, you we too, did, bro. We did, Yo. brother. Yeah, man. <laughs> I got you, Dougie, man. Whenever, bro. Holla at me, cuz. You know, you know, bro, I got you for life, man. We ain't going nowhere. I am overjoyed to share this man and these messages with you. This conversation, this exchange of humanity, this communion of brothers. Kofi's invitation is poignant and relevant to where we sit right now. Start by doing the work to love yourself. Do this so you can start loving other people in your immediate and local community. I think his warning is a necessary one, so I'll repeat it. If we don't cure the resentment and bitterness in our own hearts, if we don't find that place of loving ourselves, excavating our subconscious toxicity, we risk poisoning the world, even with the best of intentions, in the projects and the people, the things that we touch from that unhealed place. So I encourage you to take that journey. I'm with you on it. Please look for more about Kofi Thomas through his Instagram at BK Green Gardener or at Kofi Comic. K-O-F-I-C-O-M-I-C. 
Thank you so much to Kofi for his time. Thank you to Auli Chino for the music. Thank you to No Sin Records for the production. Thank you for listening. In the words of Kofi Thomas, grow food and talk to your neighbors. Go out there and love somebody. Peace.